So I'm doing my podcast from my backyard today because my daughter was in one room. My other daughter was in the other room and I had no room. So I just decided we'd come outside today. So the light's going to be inconsistent. The sound may be inconsistent. There's definitely a plane flying overhead. What can I say? I don't have my own studio yet. So until then, I just got to do what I got to do. So I'm in the backyard and I'm waiting for the dog to wake up. So I can make sure he goes potty and he's just sleeping through the whole thing. So that's, that's a bonus. Yeah. How's the new puppy doing? He's great. He's a really great temperament dog. He sleeps a lot. Um, he pees while walking sometimes, which makes me think that's some developmental issue. But other than that, he's pretty close to potty trained, maybe 90%. He tends to have one accident a day and it's at different times of the day for different reasons. So I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's just his age. It's only four months. It's almost five months. Easier than Izzy? Yes. Tremendously easier than Izzy. Yes. Oh, good. Yeah, you were going not, to hell with Izzy. She was terrible. She's stubborn. He's not stubborn. He's kind of dumb. Not dumb, but he's kind of goofy. We say that about Izzy, too. Izzy's not goofy. Not no. like the dog. No. This dog is a real goof, um, but he's really sweet and he did what I needed. He plays with Izzy all day long. They play. If they're awake, they're playing. And that's what I needed to have happen. So he'll eventually be potty trained. It'll be, you know, he'll be potty trained. He'll get there. They always do. Um, but before we talk about this episode, I say this in the end of this episode, but I signed up for Kristen and Jocelyn's parenting series at McDermottMethod.com slash WOTP. Um, I freaking love it. I get one email a week that has a 10-minute audio file of a parenting lesson. And I have applied it to my business. I've applied it to how I treat myself. And I've applied it to my marriage. I've done three weeks. And the stuff that comes in this audio file is so helpful. It's really, really awesome. Like the first week was about leveling with your kids. If you level with your kids and you're always honest with them, then they trust you. No matter what you're saying, they believe you. But if you're like not honest with them, then they don't know what to believe or when to believe. And I thought, oh, that's so simple. Such a simple kind of theory to keep in your mind when you're parenting. You know, don't bullshit your kid because then they won't trust you when they're younger, especially. I bullshit my kids all the time now. But I feel like I have a base of honesty. But something did happen. And I was trying to figure out how to kind of sweep it under the rug. And I realized I wasn't leveling with Georgia, which is who this happened with. And I called her outside and I said these words. I'm going to level with you. This is what's really going on. And she, I think, even though it was hard, appreciated it. So I just can't say enough about this parenting series. Is a 52-week series, so the price tag may seem high, but really, it's six bucks a week because it's for 52 weeks. So I think it's amazing. And Wife of the Party is sponsoring two scholarships per quarter. One scholarship has been given away this quarter. I don't think the second one has yet, so you could definitely go check it out. And I'm sure there's a box where you can say, hey, this is why I need a scholarship. I am out of who gets the scholarship. I have no control over that. but. I did pay for two people to take this series and I'll do that again next quarter to make sure at least two people get some 
much needed parenting advice. Um, so anyway, check it out. So this week, Halston and I talk about books that have stuck with me and one book that stuck with him um, for my whole life. They're all fiction. They're all over the place. There's like a teenage novel to classic novels to modern novels to essays. It's just all over the place. So there's a link to all the books at wifeotp.com under the links to great things page. If you'd like to just make it easy on yourself, click the link. It'll take you straight to Amazon. And I make like a quarter off your click, <laughs> which if four people click, it's a dollar. And then if eight people click, it's two dollars. So it's not much money. But if you go through my link and buy, then I get a little bit of something, which is great. So um, anyway, I hope you enjoy this podcast. It's my last of the three book series of this is what I read that stuck with me. So I guess this is our book club for the September. I've been yeah. so bad with our book club with uh, Kathy and Kirsten. So this is my third in this series of this is what I read. So I hope you enjoy it. It was always a good conversation with Halston. So love talking with you. I know it's always good. Halston. Like my little brother, yeah, so cute. <laughs> Although he could be my son, but we won't think about that. We won't, <laughs> we won't think about that. All right. Well, I hope you enjoy this episode, and um, hope everybody's well. And check out McDermott Method. My skin looks amazing because I'm using Christina Rumbly's Provi. So there's still a link to Provi on my website. Um, so check out all my friend stuff on my website. It's all there. Um, yeah, it's on the description below as well. The links and a small description of what they are. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Okay. Well, thank you guys for coming back every week. I hope everybody's well. And uh, enjoy this round three of the books that stuck with me. I rode my bicycle past your window last night. Thank you for your hair's long. Oh my gosh. I, know. I just worked out. I probably should do something. You just worked out? Yeah. What do you do to work out? Well, right now I'm doing a 30 day ab challenge with my buddy. Oh, 30 day ab challenge. It's brutal. Yeah. It is brutal. It's day eight now, and I've been sore every day this month. What are you and doing in this ab challenge? It's just, it's this one fitness lady from youtube and i just found the first like 30 day ab challenge that i could so she like goes down this list and it's uh a hundred reps and every day it's a different ab workout of a hundred reps and so it's ridiculous today we laid on our back with our hands above our head and our legs stretched out and then just like sat up in like 
this chair sitting position and uh i'm i'm dying but i'm starting to see results a little bit are you getting a six pack are you i'm getting like a half a pack a, a half of pack? A one yeah oh a one pack a half of one yeah so far <laughs> <laughs> the trader was telling me was telling us drop squad yesterday that um men don't work out their legs because women aren't interested in men's legs Men work up their biceps and their abs because that's what women want. That's and right. I was like, you know, I am not interested in Bert's legs. <laughs> I don't really care about his legs. Bert has good legs, though. Bert yeah. has, well, if you ask him, he has the most beautiful legs on the planet. <laughs> he believes himself to have very beautiful legs. They're not They're bad. They're kind of girly. But, I mean, not not the, if you took the hair off, they're kind of girly. <laughs> he's got tiny little calves. He's got these little bitty calves. They're not as small as mine. I'm I'm very tall and skinny. Yeah, but you're a string bean. He's not a string bean. Yeah. He's like he's like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm string beany, but I'm trying not to. I'm trying to be a ripped string bean. Hey, ripped string beans awesome. You gotta work on your biceps. Girls like biceps. I've been doing that like nonstop in quarantine. Push-ups and sit-ups and and buys and tries and trying to get shoulders right and flexibility and i don't work out my legs at all because i have a bad knee but i do go on walks oh that's it i might need surgery on my knee really what's wrong with your knee i don't know yet but uh it's it's gonna be something that needs to be mri'd instead uh. of just x-rayed i got an x-ray and everything's fine so it's it's a problem that needs to be fixed using an MRI to diagnose. And it's, it's been bad. For, yeah, it's been bad for a while. I don't know if the cartilage is worn down or what. Oof. Yuck. Yeah. Well, the good news is knee surgery nowadays is pretty simple and okay. Yeah. My friend okay. recovered from knee surgery like, you know, less than a week. He was walking. Yeah totally normally when he was limping before right yeah, it's definitely easy. worth it do you have insurance yeah it's horrible though nine hundred dollars for an mri that's why i've been putting it off that's what pocket. you'd have to pay yeah wow out of pocket so i'm like mm. i have to like budget for that one i don't know yeah yeah totally that stinks just being cheap i should have done it a long time ago well it's hard because then if you know the answer to the question, then you have to deal with the answer to the question, right? If you don't ever know the answer, you don't have to deal with it. And I mean, we all, we both know that's not the best route, but I don't think it's abnormal. I yeah. think most people don't want to know the answer to the question. They assume it's going to be some horrific surgery or cancer or something bad. And you, you have to deal with that. And that, nobody wants to deal with that. But it is better to just deal with it and get it over with, you know, especially with something like your knee. If, if your problem is your meniscus, you could be shredding it and making it worse and possibly irreparable. So if you, you know, sometimes it's better to go and see, and then you can say, well, this is something I can live with until I can save the money, or this is something I really need to do handle. So I don't have further damage. That's the problem is you don't ever know if you're causing yourself further damage, right? Yeah, I think I injured it four years ago. So, how'd you injure it? Delivering pizzas. 
Oh, did you like slide into home plate with a pizza? No, I was running because I'm an awesome worker and I hustle. And I was running back to the car after a delivery and I stepped in a giant pothole that I just did not see. And I thought I broke my ankle. That's how bad it is. I'm used to basketball injuries. And uh, I was like, oh, I I definitely broke my ankle. It swelled up immediately, turned purple. And uh, it was, I could barely drive back because I had to put pressure on the, on that. It's right leg. It's my right, yeah, my right one. And uh, the swelling went down after I elevated it and it wasn't broken or sprained, but my knee has not been the same since. Yeah. Here's another thing to think about. Elective surgeries like the one you're talking about have dropped drastically during COVID. So you may be able to get a deal, a knee on sale. You may be able to get a deal. Discount knee. Because discount knee. Yeah, because they're. I mean, I was at my cardiologist this past week having a follow-up visit for my fall, and he was saying his business has just, there, no one's having any kind of elective surgery. It's all emergency or nothing because they don't, people don't want to go and deal with the hospital. And really, my experience of the hospital when I fell, it was, there was no COVID in sight. Like everything COVID was in a completely different part of the hospital. They did not go to the ER. They went to their own entrance to the ER. It was completely separated. I don't know how it could have been safer. I really don't. So I don't know. Just think about it. Now may be the time. Neon sale. Yeah, I got to wait till my girlfriend is back so she can take care of me if I need to. Um, I miss her. She's been gone for so long. I'm sure. She has been gone a long time. Pretty much Almost all of quarantine, and uh, that's a long time. A bummer, yeah. It's a real bummer. I'm sorry. It's okay. I'm staying busy, and I'm just getting myself right, and um, trying. What do you mean, getting yourself right? Just maintaining a level of mental health and physical health, and just keeping myself at a a certain percentage. I don't want to dip below like seventy percent feeling good you know what I mean if I did blow that then it just it's just just a depression and I don't I don't want to be there so right if I just feel myself feeling funky I I gotta work out I gotta work out or I I have to uh drink something like this cold pressed juice with kale and spinach and apple cucumber celery lemon ginger sugar 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 some good food sugar. Yeah. Apple has a lot of sugar, but it's good sugar. Sugar's good for you. That sugar's good for you. 12 grams. (laughs) Oh no. Sugar, sugar, sugar. Oh, sugar, sugar. All right. So this is my third and final book series of the books that I've read that stuck with me. Oh yeah. Which one's, are today which ones are today they're the they're fiction that stuck with me fiction and somewhat non-fiction the first one being of course life of the party hey shameless plug shameless plug but i only plug it because i'm really proud of it because bert wrote it but really i kind of edited it i was yeah. he's you know he uses a lot of that 
He uses a lot of that's in a sentence. That guy that went to that thing that had that guy's thing that had four things of that stuff. And I'd be like, oh my God. <laughs> One that for sentence. And then figure out what the other that's mean and put a real word in there. Like that's, he wrote every word, but I did that. Not to use that again, but that is what I did. I would go and read it and go, I don't understand this part. So you need to reread it and see if you understand it because I wasn't there. So I don't know what you're talking about, but to be honest with you, it's a really fun read. It's a really fast read. It's, um, I don't know. I've, I've read it a couple times, even since it was published and I read it very quickly. I like books that I can get through really quickly. And I laughed out loud a few times. So I'm really proud of this book for, for Chrysler's life of the party. Um, yeah, that's got to be my first one. Awesome. Yeah, he says the audiobook is fun to read too. Yes, he's dyslexic. So him reading his own book was a joke. Like he can hardly get through it. It's, I watched him record it and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> this is going to be entertainment in and of itself. Just you're reading it. So yes, the audiobook as well is a good, good pick there. But this next book, I guess a lot of these are from pretty recently. Oh, no, that one's not. Okay. Bert gave me this book because he thought I would appreciate this person's sense of humor. And I was reading this book in the airport in Tampa, laughing so hard that tears were running down my face, laughing at this book. It is such a good book. And a lot of people may have read it. But it's Naked by David Sedaris. Have no, you read this book? Never even heard of it. Okay. So each chapter in the book is a story from his life. It's kind of a memoir, I guess, but not really. It's not, it's not um, marketed as a memoir. So, but my God, David Sedaris, if anybody doesn't know who he is, he is really a humorist. He writes kind of essays about his life. And each chapter is kind of an essay about something that happened in his life. And I think the second story in the book, he has OCD and his OCD manifested itself in licking light switches. So in like second grade, he'd just get up in the middle of class and lick the light switch. Oh my God. And he had a, I think he had a speech impediment and he lived in South Carolina and he was gay. And he was wow. in a big family. Amy Sedaris is his sister, and she is a well-known um, comedic actress. And the way he tells a story just kills me. He has this one story about one summer he got really into detective TV shows, like hardcore. And you notice how all these detectives had black hair. So he wanted to have black hair, too. So he stole his dad's shoe polish and put it in his hair. And then he got in trouble for something and hid in his parents' closet. And he ended up running the shoe polish down the whole length of the closet and getting it all over their clothes. And it's just the funniest, funniest story after story. I just remember the, the one that made me cry was the shoe polish in the hair in Tampa Airport. Oh, I, my I've read this book probably three times. And I keep, if I ever am looking for a book that just makes me laugh, this is the book. Naked by David Sedaris. Oh, my God. Just ruined their clothes. And I'm sure they I didn't mean, have much money for replacements. He and was, like, running down his face. 
And his mother was like a chain smoker and just real kind of like sharp tongued Southern woman. And it's just a great, great book. Now I've read, I think I've read all of his other books and I've liked them, but this book for whatever reason just killed me. It was so good. When I was a kid, I, uh, I woke up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and I saw my dad's razor and shaving cream. And, uh, I grabbed the razor and I just started going like this on my forehead, like going to shave my forehead. (laughs) And, uh, I obviously cut my forehead open pretty badly and just blood is pouring down my head. So I walked down the stairs and my mom's in the living room and blood is pouring from my head and she starts freaking out. Yeah. (laughs) Crazy. That's how I relate to that story. Well, I haven't thought about that in a while. Gosh, there you go. Kind of like shoe polish all over your hair. I caught myself on fire one time too. What? When I was a kid. Yeah. How did you catch yourself on fire? Well, I'm glad you asked. I was sitting on the toilet and I had my pants at my ankles and I was eight years old and we had a lighter in the bathroom to light candles. And I grabbed a piece of toilet paper, uh, about seven squares and I held it up and I lit the bottom on fire and the fire went up to my hand, obviously. So I dropped the toilet paper and it landed on my pants that were on my ankles. Oh my God. And my mom had a sixth sense apparently because she burst into the door and ripped my pants off and just beat them on the bathroom floor. She said that she heard God say, go check on Halston. And I was on fire. <laughs> in the oh bathroom. my God. <laughs> and your mom saw your wiener schnitzel. But you were oh, yeah, probably. I didn't even think about that. Oh, my God. That's the least of your worries when you're on fire. I guess so. That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. I've never caught myself on fire, but I did light a whole pack of uh, black cat firecrackers and just watched, oh, yeah. watched the fuse, and then they exploded in my hand, which was really stupid. I was only about five, though. Oh, my gosh. Well, when I was in high school, me and my friends used to love to play with fire, and this might not be the time because the United States seems to be on fire on the West coast. Right. But, um, we had a gas can that we we're playing with and, uh, lighting little small fires in his backyard on the cement. And, uh, the gas can caught on fire mm-hmm. and I decided to just stay uh-huh. there and try to blow it out. With oh, my breath. And it worked. I blew it out. Wow, you are lucky that thing didn't explode. I am so lucky, but I didn't want his house to just get destroyed because yeah. we were like right next to his house. That thing would have burst and exploded. Yeah. And like everything would have, I mean, the neighborhood could have gone down. And so I just kind of panicked and took a big deep breath. Sheesh. Yeah. Blew it out. The nose, the hose, like the nozzle was like on fire. So I was like, scary. Really, really crazy. So moral of this story is you should stay away from fire. Yeah, I don't I don't mess with fire you anymore. Should, you should stay away from I had enough of that. It was fun while it lasted, but it's too dangerous. Too dangerous. Oh, my God. So scary. I don't, I don't think I've ever had any close calls with fire. Isla shaved her face once. Isla, we were at Bert's sister's house, and Isla was missing and quiet. She was probably about four, maybe Uh-oh. three or four. 
and she had shaved here and here and she had cut herself. She had cuts all over like a, a beard and a mustache. So we had band-aids on her like this, like this for like a week. How come she knew how to like wear to shave, but I did my forehead. <laughs> you might not be bright at that age. You may not have been very bright. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I do not think so. Okay, I need a little help. <laughs> okay, next book is another book that I read and I was so sad when it was over. Um, this is a book about um, a family, uh, a Jewish family, and I think the dad dies. I don't remember now, but I just remember this book was so great. And they all sit Shiva together. Um, it's um, This is Where I Leave You is the name of the book. This is where I leave you. And sitting Shiva is, is a Jewish um, tradition where you, you stay in the house for like, I don't, I don't know how long it is. I apologize to anyone who's Jewish. Six days or seven days, the whole family stays in the house and accepts visitors to pay their respects. It's kind of like a wake, but it lasts for six or seven days. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. So, this, yes. So all these family members come together that haven't been together in a long time and drama ensues and affairs happen and secrets come out and it's so well written. It's just so good. It was one of those books I think I read from the time I picked up until I put it down and I was so upset when it was over. Now they made a movie from this book and the movie was okay, but the book was just as usual so much better than the movie. So this is where I leave you. I haven't read anything else from this author. His name is Jonathan uh, Jonathan Tropper, but I know he has a couple other books as well. Um, but God, that book, I was like, boy, if that doesn't happen in every family in some capacity, I don't know what. It's really fun. It had some surprises, some twists and turns that you didn't expect, which was really cool. Um, awesome. All right. Next it, one. It all takes place during Shiva? I think so, yeah. I think there's some memories, you know, remembering stuff from childhood and stuff like that. But, yeah, I think it all takes place while they're sitting Shiva. Oh, cool. It was really cool. It was cool. It's cool, too, to read something fiction that's, you know, kind of out of the box a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so you like so dysfunctional I, families? I do like dysfunctional families. I relate to that big time. This may be a short podcast. I'm burning through these books. Um, so the next one, uh, I think everybody on the planet read, but I had to bring it up. It's Memoirs of a Geisha. This book was so incredible. It transformed me to a different place. And this fictional novel about this woman who is a geisha just had so many messages uh, you know, about strength and power and empowerment and and about being trapped and having no choices and about power structures. And it was beautifully written. I read it effortlessly. And it just was one of those books that I go, God, that's a great book. Years later, I think back to God, that was just a great book. So Almost everybody who was on the planet and a of the right age for that book has probably already read it. But for the twenty-somethings who probably haven't read *Memoirs of a Geisha*, it's a great read. It's really good. It really is one of those books that takes you somewhere else, where you're really not 
here anymore. You're there with her. It's really great. I felt that way with the 1984. Oh, yeah. George Orwell book. Oh, yeah. I know the book. We studied that book relentlessly in high school, and I loved it. You did? He, he tied it in with uh, Wally, which is really interesting. We watched Wally. And oh. it's kind of, it's in the same vein and um, big brothery mixed with just complacency by the people. And then they, and in Wally, they get really fat and they don't move and they have these carts that, these floating carts that drive you around and you just, you're big and fat. And um, I just, I remember. We also watched the movie 1984, and I just loved it. I couldn't put it down. It was in high school, too. It's kind of a, probably a confusing book for someone who's young, but he explained it so well that I remember just loving it. You had a good teacher. I did. I had an amazing teacher. He was um, an amazing theater coach and English teacher and... uh, he taught a class called film as literature and I took that class like several times and uh, he showed us how to break down movies and what hidden messages and movies mean ties in together. Yeah. So 1984 was one of the movies. Um, The matrix was another movie. Oh, great movie. That one. Um, uh, I'm blanking Lenny. Who kills the wabbit? Oh, of mice and men. Of mice and men, yeah. That was another one. Um, just big, heavy movies that have a lot of unspoken messages. Mm. That's the shit I love. That's cool. Yeah, that's really cool. What a great class! Talk about keeping your student body engaged. Oh my gosh! Yeah. You know, someone who's passionate and knows what they're talking about makes such an incredible teacher, especially for something that's hard to understand, you know, that maybe like you're saying that 1984 may be a little above the head of a kid that age. But if you have a good teacher, they can bring it to your level and let you and and help you understand it. Yes. Shakespeare. Shakespeare. I didn't have a good Shakespeare teacher in high school, but my freshman English teacher, we did a small minute on Shakespeare and it, and it, it clicked. I went, okay, now I understand how to read his writing. I don't know what he did or what he said, but I actually showed the girls the film Much Ado About Nothing this week, which is obviously Shakespeare, but it's Kenneth Branagh and Emma Thompson. And those two people like eat Shakespeare for lunch. They're just so good at acting in that forum that they could, uh, my kids could understand what was going on. But if you don't have a good actor, mm-hmm. you don't know what's going on in the story. You have to really understand how to present the language so that it's understood. Um, yeah, I was in a Shakespeare play and I can't t- even tell you what it was even about. <laughs> it's because it's very, it's very, it's very simple. The themes are the same in almost every play. It's either a comedy or a tragedy. There's a fool. There's, you know, let me dress up as you and do this deed and then mistaken identity. It's in almost every single Shakespearean play. So once you understand kind of the formula that he stuck to most of the time, it makes the, the play easier to understand. But 
yeah, I find someone who's really passionate about what they're teaching or expressing makes it easier for other people to understand. That's really cool. You had a teacher like that. I had two amazing teachers. They were husband and wife, actually. It no was, way. It was them too. Yeah. Um, Crom and Fawcett. They, they changed my life for the better. I mean, they, they gave me direction. They gave me um, structure. They gave me a, a safe space to get my emotions out and all things that I had no idea that I needed until I grew up and kind of looked back and you go, wow, you don't really have those in the real world. And at that time in my life, it was really, really important. And I mean, I owe a lot to them. I mean, so great. Yeah, they they did a lot for me and with me, and I I I think I turned out good partially because of them. Oh, that's great. So yeah. shout out Crom and Foster. Is that what you said? Crom and Fawcett. Crom and Fawcett. Yeah. Mister and Mrs. Yeah. That's awesome. All right, next book. Okay, I used to run a book club a long time ago. Way before I had kids, way before I knew Bert. And in my book club, I don't remember how many women we had in the book club, but every month, one person hosted and chose the book. Non-negotiable. That person chose the book, and that's the book the group read, like it or not. And this person, Jordan Catapano, chose this book, and I was like, for real, I do not want to read this book. It is, again, a book. That has never left me. And I thought, I'm not reading a book about this. It's called Touching the Void. And it is a book about rock climbing, like mountain climbing, like, like serious, like Mount Everest rock climbing. Uh, two guys go up together and one guy has an accident. And what happens after that? You have to read the book. It, it was, again, a book I could not put down. It took me a little bit of time to get into it because I didn't know the terminology of rock climbing, like what the equipment was, and they kind of explain it to you so you can follow along. At the very beginning, I was like, okay, whatever. I don't know what this means. I don't know what that means, but got it, got it, got it. And then once it started moving, oh, my God. I think this was also made into a feature film, but I could not put this book down, and it was just so much about the human spirit, the will to live and survive. What you can go through to, to live is, is powerful in this book. This guy, I mean, there's no way this should have had a happy ending. There's just no way. Should not have had a happy ending. And it does. And it was just a great journey. I kept, I, again, couldn't put the book down. And did not want to read it. I was like, seriously, Jordan, I don't want to read a book about mountain climbing. I don't know anything about mountain climbing. It was great. I wish I had that same, I wish I had the time to have that same book club again, because it was great to be forced to read something. Because inevitably, I always ended up loving what I read. Oh, that reminds me, there's one book that's not on here. It's the book Seabiscuit. That was another book club. Alyssa Gillen chose. Seabiscuit for our book club read of the month. And I was like, I don't know nothing about horse racing. I don't care about a horse. I don't care about horse racing. One of the most inspirational stories I've ever read is the story of Seabiscuit. And Laura Hildebrand, I think is the author's name, 
writes so beautifully. She also wrote Unbroken, the story about um, the Olympic runner that was in World War II, which I thought was great also. But Seabiscuit just kicked my butt. It was so great because there was a lot of history. There's three very defined men in the journey of Seabiscuit, who was one of the most amazing athletes, not to mention racehorse, but athlete in general of all time. He was not a thoroughbred racehorse. I think he was like a quarter horse or something. He was not supposed to be a racehorse. He went through injury after injury after injury. And his trainer was old school, grumpy, crotchety guy who just knew how to take care of horses. And the jockey was down on his luck, alcoholic, not supposed to be successful guy. And this owner who just loved, loved, loved him. And the guy would have won the triple crown. The, the, the horse, it was just, it was an incredible story. And they made a movie about it. And the movie kind of was paled in comparison. I watched the movie and I was like, first of all, Toby McGuire is too tall to be a jockey. Yeah. You've lost me there. And his jockey was a redhead. You've lost me there. I don't want to watch the movie. I got so attached to the characters in the book because they were just so well-defined. And the factual life of Seabiscuit is so inspiring. And he inspired our whole nation to persevere and to fight and to um, do your best work. Oh, here comes Georgia. Georgia was working out in the man cave. That's why I didn't get to podcast in the man cave. How oh. work out? You feel better? You look better. Teenagers. Oh. Anyway, Seabiscuit. So great. I've read Seabiscuit three times. Really? Is it a yep. true story? It's a true story. It's a true story about a racehorse that should never have been a racehorse, a jockey who should never have won, a trainer who did not fit the mold, this like odd skeleton crew that I, I cried over and over again in that book. Wow. Uh, it just was like, I'd be like, oh, come on, Seabiscuit, come on, Seabiscuit. And then Seabiscuit would win and I'd cry. <laughs> We'd go on to the next day. It was just amazing. Amazing. And the way she wrote it, I felt like I was in that time period watching this unfold. And it was, I don't even remember the time period. I think it was during World War II. It was a long time ago. So that's a great book, Seabiscuit. Again, from a book club. All right, I only have two more books. Only two more. What are your books? I'm trying to look up the C when Seabiscuit was. I was waiting for you to look up Seabiscuit. Well, I have to prove I'm not a robot, so that's good. Oh, for the information, you have to prove you're not a robot? Can you say Leanne says he's not a robot? Yeah, 1940. Yeah, so World War II. Yeah, it's an incredible book. Okay. I did not read classics in high school. I read Ivanhoe. That's the only classic novel that I read. I read Ivanhoe and I choose it because I heard that Robin Hood was in it. Robin Hood was in it for one minute. And I have no memory of what Ivanhoe was about. But I didn't read any Jane Austen. I didn't read any Bronte. I didn't read any Wuthering Heights. No Tale of Two Cities. I, 
that just wasn't required reading in my high school. Or if it was, I didn't do it. I missed it somehow. So when I was probably 28, I decided I should read some classics because I feel really stupid. I feel like I don't know any classics. Like I read Catherine Rye, Great Gatsby. Um, I read those books, but nothing kind of other than that basic Lord of, Fly, Lord of the Flies. Giver. Uh, no, The Giver wasn't published when I was in high school, dude. No, I'm too old for that. But I have read The Giver since with my middle schooler. <laughs> I just feel like it's an old book because there's an old man on the cover. So I'm like, oh, so are you calling me old? No, I just assumed it was <laughs> written a long time ago for some reason. I didn't read it, but. I, <laughs> so you're again calling me old because it was written after I was in high school. <laughs> no, nope, I'm just saying I assumed it was written a long time ago by that Moses guy. That one is a guy. classic. <laughs> like me, I am a classic. Thanks a lot, Alton. No, I did not read The Giver. Um, but. Oh, 1993. Wow, yeah. See, I graduated high school in 88. <laughs> that person was probably still in high school also. <laughs> I was too. <laughs> and you were too. <laughs> so Leaving my forehead. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I decided I would start reading classics. So I read, you know, Wuthering Heights, and I read, um, I don't know, The Scarlet Letter, and then I read this book. Pride and Prejudice. Oh, Pride and Prejudice. And then I read Sense and Sensibility. And then I read Northanger Abbey. And then I read Emma. And then I read everything Jane Austen ever wrote. And I'm sorry. I don't think it's a girl-only book. But my God, Jane Austen is a treasure. Um, she just writes like nobody else. And I mean... I, the first time I read her, I was surprised. I Things came up that I didn't expect. Um, she has so much wit and freedom, even in this system that she lived in where everything was so controlled. Uh, I was so impressed that she wrote this as a man. She couldn't publish the books as a woman. And it was later found out in her lifetime that she was this writer, which I was happy to, to know about. But I, I find all her characters interesting and engaging and they're, I've, I don't know how many times I've read Pride and Prejudice, probably five. Um, I know I've read Sense and Sensibility at least twice. It's one of those books where I'm just, the, she's one of those authors where I could just pick up her book anytime, any day and read it and never be bored. She's just fabulous. And it takes a minute for me because I did not grow up reading English language the way she writes because it's oh, if, when was she like 1700s I think um so clearly they spoke and wrote differently than we do now so yeah 1775 to 1817 so probably late 1770s early 1800s is when she was writing this so it takes it always takes me a minute to get into the language of her as an author Mm. But once I'm in, oh my God, again, like Memoirs of a Geisha, it just transforms me into this whole other place. They're all about romance. So, you know, it's always fun to read a sophisticated romance novel because <laughs> that's kind of what it is. And uh, 
I just never get tired of her. She's just an exquisite writer. So that may be for the ladies out there. I don't know how many men would like Pride and Prejudice, but or Sense and Sensibility or Emma um, or any of her fabulous books. But Wow. It looks like every few years she came out with just like a banger of a book. She did. Every two she years. And I believe she she died of illness young. So who knows what would have happened if she had actually lived, how many more treasures we would have gotten from her. And, you know, the latest movie that came out, Emma, of hers, I thought was just so fun. I loved it. But, you know, I don't like Marvel movies, so I'm an anomaly in today's world. She died from Addison's disease, which it robs the body of the ability to make critical hormones. Ooh. It's rare. That's horrible. She was 41. Yeah, she was really young. I knew she was young. She never married. God, that's Never married. Neither did her sister. There's a movie out called Becoming Jane that I've been wanting to watch. I haven't watched it. That's supposedly about her life. So I have to check that out. I only have one book left. Last book. This was an unexpected joy, this book. So... Every year, every summer, for years, I read a classic book to my kids because I didn't want them to grow up feeling like I had, where I had never read any classic novels. So we read like Little Women. I would read aloud to both of them, and we would enjoy this book together. So one year I read Little Women. One year I read um, The Secret Garden. One year I read, um, what's that book with Mr. Toad? Mr. Toad's Fantastic Adventure or something like that. And then one year, I read this book and I definitely enjoyed it more than anyone else in my house. It's Treasure Island. Okay. So Treasure Island was written by Robert Louis Stevenson. I was eavesdropping on my podcast. Um, Robert Louis Stevenson, I believe had a stepson who was about 12 and he wrote this book for his stepson. And it is about pirates and treasure and intrigue and betrayal and entrapment. And it's written at the level of a 12-year-old boy. And it freaking rang my bell. I read this book and was like, that was so fun and so easy to read. And I loved every minute of it. And it's not sophisticated, but it's super fun. And you're looking for the mutiny at all times. And you learn all these secret things that pirates about pirates' life. And then what's really fascinating is this TV show came out called Black Sails, right? Yeah. Uh, on Stars, And I was like, let's watch that. Because we were, I think we were watching Game of Thrones and we were looking for something else that was kind of epic, like Game of Thrones. We started watching it and I was like, wait, his name is Billy Bones. Billy Bones is in Treasure Island. Wait. That guy's name is Jolly Roger. There's a Jolly Roger. Hold on. This is Treasure Island, but an adult version. And they add real pirates, like from real life, into the story of Treasure Island. So they've melded like real life Caribbean pirate stories with Treasure Island. And they have characters from the book and characters from real life, all in this pirate show that was fucking fantastic. I loved Black Sails. 
I was so disappointed when they canceled it because I thought this is amazing because I loved Treasure Island, the book so much, but really cool. Yeah, I've heard it's really good. My roommate binge watched it and loved it. I, I saw a fair amount of it when he was watching it. It looks so awesome. It looks like it is um, awesome. Like an R-rated Pirates of the Caribbean almost. It's an R-rated Treasure Island. No, so there you if, go. Yeah. If you read Treasure Island and then watch Black Sails, it'll kind of blow your mind. Oh. And I'm pretty impressed that someone clearly read Treasure Island and said, let's make an adult version of that book because it's so amazing. Because it is such a good book. You don't really know how it's going to end. Like, I keep reading the book going, is this pirate going to get the treasure? Or is this pirate going to get the treasure? Who's going to get the treasure? Who's going to die? Who? And there's a black spot. Like, if, if, um, if, if you've wronged a pirate, someone from the pirate society or whatever puts a black spot on your hand, and that means you're a marked person. And so you're going to be dead. And so the black spot would move from person to person. You're like, who's getting the black spot now? Oh my God, he's got the black spot. How's he going to die? It's such a good book. So good. And Black Sails, the TV show, once you read this book, you're like, oh my God, I couldn't believe how they wove the stories together. It was great. That's really cool. It was really cool. I had no idea. Yeah. I think not many people had that idea. That's why the show got canceled. We were, Bert and I were so disappointed when they canceled that show. We were hardcore into it. <laughs> yeah, I remember when you guys were watching that. <laughs> oh, we loved it so much. And I think it's because I read, when I would read aloud to the girls, I would read aloud to Bert too. So he's listened to Treasure Island too. He listened to me read that. I read that when we were in Clearwater one summer. That's what we did at night was I would read Treasure Island aloud. So, and that is something I actually really recommend is reading a book aloud to your family. No one does that. They'll no. read, watch TV shows. But it's really cool to go through that kind of labor intensive group imaginative work because you all get to imagine what's being read in your own head and what that looks like. And to experience that together was really cool. To read yeah, together. you're right. All the... Everything that's on the devices today, is it's so vivid and it's so clear and there's no room for imagination because it's already all in there. So that's right. You're right. You're right. Um, reading a book aloud to people will have them think of their own world. Yes. And, you know, we're, we're about to move into the norm of being like virtual reality like all the movies look like avatar and yeah. it looks amazing and yes it's very creative but it, it it's you're just an audience member you're not participating in the creativity of of the book just based yeah. on the words because it's already all there yeah i wonder about that with like the new generations that are coming up um what their creativity is going to look like and how it's going to manifest because it's going to be different it has to be right it does because a lot of that work is done for them yeah it's it's done for them you don't and and kids don't read like they used to because you know when i was a kid there were three channels on the television one television in our house so if i was at my aunt phyllis's my uncle steve was watching a kung fu show i was not going to turn the channel and watch the brady bunch i had to find something else to do 
So I would read or I would, you know, cross stitch or do something else. But kids have a TV in their room. They have the TV in their hand. So they don't have to sit, find something else to do. And in finding something else to do, you get to use different parts of your brain, your imagination, your problem solving skills. How can I get myself on board? Um, what can I do? Yeah. You know, and they don't have to do that. It's right here. You know, it's so interesting. I kind of grew up like that too, because we were in the military and in the military, they had, especially if you lived overseas, they had something called American Forces Network. And it's 12 channels and they, it's, they just play reruns of old TV shows. So I grew up on like old school Brady Bunch and uh, uh, the Andy Griffith show and I Love Lucy. And um, those are great shows. And so like we, we weren't really watching TV that much, it seems. I don't, re I, don't re I remember watching movies mm -hmm. like VHS tapes, but. We never really, we, we, we played, you know, we created, we played, we were homeschooled for half of our lives. Right. I was actually re, uh, watching something recently about how homeschooled kids are just fine during quarantine because this is how we grew up without friends or like <laughs> we right. were home a lot. Right. Um, we had to stay creative and, and stay busy at the same time. And, yeah. um, and I, I think that kind of helped give me the tools for this, which is kind of interesting in a way. Yeah, but, totally. Yeah, I wonder about that, uh, kids growing up today. I wonder about that, too. That was part of my motivation for reading aloud. And uh, I tried to do it recently, but my older daughter hid the book from me. <laughs> <laughs> which I took as a slap in the face. What book was it? The Four Agreements. What? I was like, let's read The Four Agreements aloud. I think we're all in high school. Let's, <laughs> she let's... hid it. She hid it. <laughs> she hid a self-help book. I found book. it. Yeah, she did. I found it two days later. And I was like, who hid this from me? And Georgia went, I might have. I said, why? <laughs> I said, I don't want to read that book. And I'm like, but I feel like you need, everybody needs the information in this book. And she goes, oh. And I was like, I was so hurt. It's such a short book. That's what I said. I said that we can read this in four nights. Come on. It's like how I live my life too. Like it's exactly. And I'm thinking we're starting high school. This is great information. Hid the fucking book. Hid the book. Oh my god. And I said to her the other day, I got the hint, but I but I did hurt my feelings. And she goes, Oh God. And I went, Wait, I wanted to read the book. I wanted to read the book. You can read the book to me. So I think I'm going to read the four agreements to Isla. Clearly the smarter of my two children. <laughs> <laughs> I am so glad that I read that. I read it when I was uh, 19 was the first time I read it. I watched um, Nikki Six came to my music school to speak about the music industry and creativity and whatnot. And he recommended that book. And he recommended that one and The Artist's Way. And both of those absolutely changed my thinking um, and helped with creativity as well. And I'm really glad that I read it at a younger age. And then that, yeah. that brought me into... That was into my theory, too. That was my theory, too. That was my theory, too. Because you're, you're able to 
see those scenarios like not taking things personally and you yeah. just just kind of remind yourself as you go through life as you do start to take things personally or you see other people miserable because they do take it personally and you just adjust slowly throughout your life and i think it's i think it's important and um i'm sure the younger the better but i think that from the ages of like 16 to 18 you're gonna get nowhere <laughs> right right i don't think kids like their parents when they're that age sucker is that hard um, for you is that hard to not to just butt heads like that just based on teenagerisms i don't know if it's hard but it is aggravating where i go i remember being this exact thing right this is not foreign to me I was the same way too. I thought my parents were idiots. It's like full-blown idiots. But there is a part of me that goes, if you just listen a little bit, it would save you so much time. But, you know, that's not how people learn. People learn by doing themselves. They don't learn by having someone else do it for them and give them the result. They have to, you have to go through it yourself. I was just talking about this with a friend who's having a little marital blip Nothing serious, but just a moment of not lining up, right? And I was like, recommend some books for him. He's already, you've told him what you feel. He said, ah, I didn't realize that. And he's trying to make some adjustments. But the truth is, it's really hard to make those adjustments without some kind of learning. And sometimes the learning doesn't happen from one conversation. It may have to happen from a mentor, from a therapist, from a book, from a podcast. You may have to have some kind of outside source say, Hey, take a look at this and see if this applies to you. And if it does, then put it into action. You know, sometimes it's hard to get that from your mom or your partner in your marriage. It's easier to get it from something neutral, which was why I was trying to read the book. <laughs> because then that would not be me saying, don't take things personally. Be a man of your word, you know? It's still, thinking. it's still coming from you. I mean, it just the sound of my parents' voices when I was that age, just it, you, you, at a certain age, you just, you don't hear it. You just have to learn your hard lessons yourself because you're not, you don't hear it. It's in there and it comes out later. It comes back later and you go, you know, thank you, mom and dad for teaching me that. I know that was, you know, difficult, but it's, yeah, it's not. It's just a wall that is nothing's coming in because I got that wall up and I'm doing my own thing over here. Yeah. Well, it is an interesting place to be a parent with lots of resources and to not be wanted at all. Like when someone's having a hard day and you try to even comfort them, that that's bad. All of it's bad. Uh, I think, um, they just want to be so independent and autonomous, and that's completely natural and normal. But it is hard to watch somebody who lives in your house who's crying because they've had a hard day and not be compassionate. And you go, well, I can't not be compassionate because if I weren't, that would not be right. But then to be compassionate and be met with, I don't want to talk about it, is not my favorite. <laughs> you know what I mean? I can't say that's my favorite. <laughs> 
Are you allowed to like hug them in silence? Oh, no, 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 oh. no, 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 no. Okay. No. no. Touching, no advice. I'm allowed to fuck off. <laughs> That's pretty much the body language and almost the verbal language I get is pretty much fuck off, mom. I'm going to cry in front of you and you just have to endure it. And <laughs> any amount of compassion from you is met with evil. So enjoy that too. Because at least I'm talking to you. That's what I feel like. <laughs> yeah, I guess anytime a parent tries to help when you're that age, right? Yeah. It's, it's a crazy time. I have good kids. There's nothing wrong with my, I mean, they're really good, typical regular teenagers this is nothing extraordinary you really do have good kids um thanks my my girlfriend babysat when they were young enough to babysit or be babysat and uh she would come home and she'd just be like they're such good kids they're so they're so smart they are talkative you can have legit conversations with them because they are just normal, Aww. you know, like I don't know anybody else that age, but mm-hmm. besides like my cousins and if I compare them, they're different. I mean, they're just different. They're not my cousins when they were that age were not talkative or like interested in really like anything that older people had to say and um your kids just love people and that's they do that's a nice observation i think they do love people yeah they're really they're really cool kids and uh they're gonna grow up to be really awesome adults but teenager years are (laughs) (laughs) thank you for saying that that's really sweet i think we bert and i both always tried to You know, Hollywood's a weird place to raise your kids. It's really weird. I mean, some kids drive to high school in like, not joking, like Ferraris. And you're like, seriously, why why does this kid have a Ferrari? I mean, how do you talk to your kids about that? How do you make sure they feel okay about who they are when they're with that? And know that that doesn't matter in the grand scheme of life. What matters is how you treat people. Um, is that you are a person of your word, that you do what you say, that you mean what you say, that you're kind and compassionate, that you're giving, and that you take care of yourself, that you're not rude. I've always been super strict about please and thank you and not being rude. They're um, not rude. That's they are not rude. You, you'll catch kids that age being rude on accident. Uh, or dismissive on accident, and they're they're not that. Definitely no, not that. They're not that. I'm so grateful that that stuck at least. That I was like, there is no circumstance in life that requires you to be rude. You can be stern, but that's not the same as rude. Um, they're very different things. So hopefully that I think that kind of stuck. So she's just rude to me. <laughs> And that's to be expected. Yeah, totally that's normal. Completely normal. It'll but, go away. You guys will be friends. Yes. But not right now. We will. So we had this big camping trip. Um, 
her friends were going camping this past weekend, Labor Day weekend, at a place here called June Lake, which was very close to Mammoth, which is where these big fires are burning right now. So we went to June Lake. We got there Friday. And we had a hotel room for Friday night, and then we were camping at a campsite after that. So we drove up there Friday night. It was a six-hour drive. We checked into a hotel, slept, woke up, checked out of the hotel, drove to the campsite. I, we did a bunch of activities. I pitched the tent at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and then the fire up by Mammoth and the Sierra Nevada started the smoke started moving our way. We could actually see this wall of smoke coming our way. Mm. Even though we were no threat to the fire, was the fire was no threat to us. The smoke was definitely coming our way. So by six o'clock, it was almost unbreathable. Like 300 is the highest on the air quality index. Oh my God. At, at, at 6.30, we were at 289. And I was like, we got to come home. We can't stay here. We can't breathe. I can't sleep in a tent. Yeah. So I unpitched the tent at 630 at night, put it back in the car. And by 730, we were on the road back home. So in 36 hours, I drove for 11 hours and slept for eight. So and then I got home. We had a great time. We had a great chat in the car ride up and back. We had fun on the trip with her friends. It was a great time. And I was super grateful and glad we went. Even though it was a fast turnaround, we were supposed to stay till Sunday. We ended up coming back Saturday night. We were going to come back late Sunday night. So Sunday I go, so I'd love your help unpacking and, and you know, putting everything away. And this was her response. <laughs> and I thought, motherfucker, I just drove 11 hours in two days. I just moved mountains to make this trip happen. And when I ask you to help me put shit back, I get, that's what I get? Oh, mama was mad. Mama was really mad. That's a drive. I just looked up where that was. and It's, it's a drive. Ooh. Yeah, it's a hard drive. And it, it was probably very hot. It was, it was not. It was 92. Compared to here, it was, I mean, here it was like 112, uh, literally. So it was better than here. But, you know, pitching an entire campsite and then breaking it down within like a six-hour window is not fun. Mm -hmm. And it's dirty. I, sh I set the campsite up. I got so dirty because everything's so dusty that I showered. And I had one of those, one of those moments where I... But I was way far from the showers. So I walked halfway to the shower, realized I forgot my towel. Mm. Walked back to my car, got the towel. Walked all the way to the shower, realized I needed four quarters for the shower. What? Walked all the way back to the car to get my four quarters for my seven-minute shower. Left my towel at the car again. <laughs> oh, yeah. All the way back, showered, got out of the shower and went, Fuck, I forgot my towel. My towel's in the trunk and I'm soaking wet and I rushed to the shower because I only have seven minutes because I only had four quarters. So I dried off with my wet bathing suit. <laughs> and then, uh, so I was like, and I went through all of this, pitched the tent, unpitched the tent and got filthy dirty again after I had taken this seven minute four trip shower. And that's what I get. <laughs> Gonna help me? <laughs> I... I did not know that they had campsites that took quarters to shower. 
Yeah, four quarters for a seven-minute shower. Good to know. Hot water, too. Good to know. It was uptown. We were uptown. Yeah, you were. (laughs) We were in the middle of the desert, kind of. Well, we were about 30 minutes from Yosemite. Yeah, it was awesome. That was really great. I would go go over there. We're going to go to Big Bear when my girlfriend gets back. It's beautiful up there. I love it. Yeah. It was not, we went there and the first time I just was not feeling good. I was having, I think it was before uh, medication. I was just having bad lows. And uh, I think that's why she took me up there too. And uh, it was just very difficult to be there. And we ended up staying in the cabin pretty much, pretty much the whole time. It was during Christmas. It was very busy there and cold. And um, we ended up having a really great time just playing cards and there's a little TV there. And it was, it ended up being really nice, but I feel bad and I want to do a, a do-over now that I'm in a, a better place. Yeah. That'd be nice. <laughs> yeah. That would Especially be nice. distant somewhere. And then you can bring Treasure Island and read it while you're up there. <laughs> Maybe we should. And then come home and watch Black Sails. Hey, something to do. Just saying. Well, I'm going to say this in the intro too, but I'm going to say it now also. Um, uh, two weeks ago, I think we were we had Kirsten, uh, Kristen, and Jocelyn on mm-hmm. about their parenting series. I joined their parenting series. It is phenomenal. It is so good. Uh, you sign up for a year. You get 52 weeks of this parenting series. And once a week, you get an email with a 10-minute audio clip. I have listened to three weeks now, and they've been so valuable. And I've been able to apply those parenting clips to marriage, to how I treat myself, how I parent myself. It's been really awesome. And then a couple of days later, they send you an assignment. And full disclosure, I haven't really been doing the assignments, but bringing that stuff to the front of your awareness what they're talking about in the little 10 minute clip has been amazing. And I'm sure if I did the assignment, I'd get even more out of it. But so anybody who's interested in that, you can go to McDermottMethod.com and check out their parenting series. They have a series on divorce. I'm not familiar with that series, but the parenting series is really knocking my socks off. I'm super impressed. Yeah. McDermott, M-A-C-D-E-R-M-O-T-T method.com slash W-O-T-P. Yes, and that, that gives you a link for my listeners only. And I personally paid for two scholarships, and I think they've only given away one scholarship. So there may be one more scholarship left for this quarter. I'm going to do a scholarship every quarter, two scholarships every quarter. So definitely check it out. And if you can't remember their website, you can go to wifeotp.com, and there's a link on my links to great things. I will also put links to all these books on links to great things. So if you want to read them, you can go straight to them on Amazon. Um, I guess that's it, Halston. I think the only fiction book that changed my life was A Million Little Pieces because I was was younger when that came out and I read it and I was like, I'm never doing hard drugs. And uh, because it just goes into graphic detail about going to the dentist without Novocaine because he's in rehab or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think... That's the only one that I could think of that kind of changed my life in a way. You know, that and Dr. Drew, surprisingly enough. 
because I was in high school when Celebrity Rehab was on TV and I could not get enough of that show. And I watched it all the time. I ended up meeting and being friends with one of the people that was in that show. No way. You should come all the way for the party. Let's, we should set that up. Um, but I loved that show because, again, it was one of those things where it showed you the bad side of getting into that world and going down those paths and what it leads to and what a mess Steven Adler was at the time, the oh. drummer for Guns N' Roses. Broke my heart. I watched that Broke show my heart i met him after he got sober and holy hell has he been nicest guy yeah. he's doing fantastic been sober for a long time and uh really really cool dude but yeah dr drew kind of putting that out there as weird as it is kind of now i think that it kept me away from that stuff watching all those drug shows on TV, watching mental illness on TV, whether it be my 600 pound life or hoarders or anything like that. It all is giving you a gauge for unhealthy behavior. And I just, I can't get enough of that stuff. So um, those are the things that changed my life when I was growing up, I think. That's awesome. Did you watch Intervention? Oh yeah, I love Intervention. I watched that show too. And then at a certain point, it started making me really heavy. It's heavy. It's hard. It's really heavy. But I watched Celebrity Rehab, too. I watched every episode. And I admire Drew so much. Um, I really do. And everybody that worked with him and how they handle all their addicts. It's really admirable work. Difficult work because I don't think it has a very high success rate. No. And that's got to be hard to keep yourself focused and on the path. when you. Wow. I mean, I'd be like, I give up. I can't do any good. So it's a good person who can keep that path going. I'm glad you told me that. I'm sorry. I didn't ask you what books. Oh no, I was trying. I looked, I was like, I don't even have any fiction books at all. A million little pieces was pretty powerful. I have to agree with you. And you know, it was released at first as a memoir, right? And then it came out that he changed some pretty major details that then changed it from memoir to fiction but i find that to be really unfortunate because i think that it's 99% memoir um and i think it's really strong information for someone to have who's battling with addiction or who's dabbling in drugs or who's never tried that it's really a powerful book i agree with you million little pieces i'll put that link in my tab too it was the first time I read that book. I couldn't put it down. And, you know, Oprah kind of outed him very publicly for changing those few details that um, in the book. And she publicly shamed him. And that was the last time I watched her show. Oh. Because I thought, I thought you were a classy person. And I thought you were someone who had integrity. And you just flung mud at that guy instead of trying to understand why he did that. I thought you came from a place of understanding and compassion. And she came from a place of some serious anger. She felt really betrayed. Ego, ego kicked in there big time. I don't know if it was ego, but she maybe because she really supported him in this book. She was really behind him. And when it came out that it wasn't all exactly accurate, like 
um, there was a suicide in the book. And I guess how that person actually committed suicide was different than how he said that person committed suicide. It's a different method. But the person committed suicide nonetheless. Um, and I agree, perhaps maybe it shouldn't have been told as a memoir, maybe mostly true or whatever. But man, she really destroyed him publicly. And I just didn't think that was very well done. I didn't think there was a lot of integrity in that for her. So I stopped watching her show. That was the last time I watched her show. When was that? Do you remember when that was? It's been a while. I'm curious. It's been a while. Because, I mean, she still had a show. She hasn't had a show for, what, at least 10 years? Long time. She has her own network that she does shows on. Yes. But, I mean, the Oprah Winfrey show. Are you too young to remember the Oprah Winfrey show? No, I remember it. That's all that was on in my house. Five days a week. What a monumental job that would have been to produce five shows a week. Crazy. 2006. That's when he was on? That's when she like lambasted him. Oh, it was pretty bad. It was, I just thought it was a little beneath her. I mean, I thought what she was saying may be valid, but to publicly shame him in that way instead of, you know, leaving him his dignity in some way, I just didn't think was great. I didn't like it. She made him a very, very rich and popular man. She did. And uh, she backed him. Yep. And when she found out that it wasn't true or whatever. He made a fool of her. She, yeah. She was like, I will show you. Yeah. You don't do it. And she sent a message to everyone else. If you want to be part of my book club, you will not lie to me. Yeah, it's true. So maybe she, you know, maybe it was the right thing to do. I just didn't like it. I thought it was, I thought he was pretty brave to sit there and take it. Yeah, I don't think that was the right thing to do. My favorite interview with her is with Steven Tyler. And that came out about four or five years ago. She started doing a show where she goes to celebrities' houses and then interviews Uh them, like long-form interviews. Really, really good one with Steven Tyler. Really? Like Barbara Walters style? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they get into it. They get into it. He talks about infidelity in front of his fiance and like just stuff like that and drugs wow. and, and drama and spirituality. And yeah, that dude, is a, that dude is a very unique human being. That he is. And what a great artist. He made some good Amazing. music. Yeah, totally. My favorite music. I, I don't know why Aerosmith gets a bad rap. I think of, Maybe because of the 80s stuff. I don't know. Uh, but I think that they're the most amazing band. They, I went to see them live and I was expecting to be all hyped up and singing along. But I just stood there with my mouth open. And I have seen so many bands. I've been to so many concerts. And that concert stood out to me as being the best band that I've ever seen live. Wow. Seriously. Those guys, when they all get together and I'd watch videos all growing up of them live, but seeing it in person was something really, really special. It just felt like magic. And I, I still haven't felt that to this day from a live band. 
And that's just 40 years of playing together and at the highest level. And they're all, I mean, Steven Tyler is like one of the best singers of all time. Joe Perry is one of the best rock guitarists of all times. And, uh, and Brad Whitford holding down the drums, he had a heart attack and came back from it. Like, goodness gracious. Crazy. Yeah. I've always been a big Aerosmith fan. Always. Uh, I, I joined you probably, I don't know if they had this whippersnapper that you are, but, um, they used to have music clubs where for a penny you could join this music club and we'll send you like 10 free CDs. And then we send you a couple CDs every month and you buy the ones you want and send the ones back you don't want. Well, of course, you're an irresponsible college student. You never send back the ones you don't want. So you end up having all these CDs that you don't want. But I joined. So I had the one cent, get your 10 CDs, right? And Aerosmith, um, Aerosmith's greatest hits was the one in that first batch. And then I started buying their old CDs, like older albums, uh, after I got that greatest hits because I got the greatest hits and I was like they sang all these songs, they're insane. So it's then insane. I started buying the album, like read the whole album. They're amazing, and yeah, I guess they get a bed rap for like "Dude Looks Like a Lady" in that era. Is that what you're talking about? I think Dude so. Like Eighties, but those were their highest grossing songs. I, I think like the big, massive rock ballads people don't like for some reason, like Crying and um, yeah. An- Angel. That's oh, from the 90s. The Armageddon one, too. Yeah. I, think I Don't Want to Miss Thing, the big Diane Warren song. Great song, though. Great song. I'm a little ashamed. I said Brad Whitford was a guitar, was, was the drummer. He's the guitar player. Joey Kramer is the drummer. Oh, and I'm, I'm ashamed of myself. I have an Aerosmith tattoo. I'm ashamed of myself. You, you should be, Mister. That's, that's unacceptable. Shame. Unacceptable. Well, this has been a fun chat. Thank well, you. Chatting Thank with you. Excited for the new studio. Oh, can't wait. Can't I'm wait. excited too. Won't be long. Yeah. I hope. <laughs> Very excited. Um, All right. Well, enjoy your night. Tell Brooklyn hello. I will. Yeah, tell her hello. I would say tell your girls hello, but they won't hear you. No, they won't. They'll say, put it in the book with the four agreements. And when we're 18, we'll hear Halston's hello. <laughs> right? Uh, all right. Till next time. Uh, bye. I think that we should give together